Let's dive in. This is Van Collar. My name is Bo Amir, and today on This is Van Color, I am joined by a Canadian actress who stars in the longest-running scripted drama in Canadian television history, CBC's Heartland, which is also on Netflix and just started its 12th season earlier this month. She's also appeared in Stargate Atlantis, The L Word, The Good Doctor, and Supernatural. She is premiering her second short film at this month's Vancouver Short Film Festival, a film she wrote and directed, Mi Madre, My Father, a coming-of-age story inspired by the real-life challenges experienced by Chilean immigrants to Canada. She stars in the film alongside Arrow himself, Stephen Amell. On Sunday night, she goes by Lou. She is the ultra-talented force to be reckoned with, Michelle Morgan. Michelle, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. <laughs> it's 2019, and, and you're off to the races. you got a monster month and a monster year. Yeah. Um, it's So this one, Me Madre, My Father, is actually my first short. Oh, it's your first short. It's okay. What about like Save Crunch? Yourself? That was my second one. Okay, I'm so going we, in reverse order here. Yeah, that was my first <laughs> first one I ever wrote and directed, but it is premiering now, so it's coming out after my second one. I think so that's where the confusion where the, was. That's right. Yeah. Well, thank but you yeah, for clarifying no, it's, that. I'm really excited to have it finally premiering because we shot it uh, last year, so it's a, a long time waiting. Very exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into the film, as I alluded to, you go by Lou on Sunday yep. nights. And in terms of Canadian television, like Heartland is such a monumental show yeah. uh, that you've starred in. And it and I feel like it's only picked up since it's been on Netflix, right? Yeah, I think it's really um, broadened our viewership for sure. But the funny thing is they don't really keep track. We don't have access to those numbers. Right. We know how many people watch on television, mm-hmm. and it seems to float around 800, 900,000, which okay. is good numbers for yeah. Canadian television. But we don't have access to those numbers, nor do we know how many people watch it around the world. It's played in over 100 countries. Oh, wow. Yeah. That many. Yeah, I get a lot of um, social media interaction from fans around the world. I had someone start a fan account from Tasmania. <laughs> um, a lot of people watching in England, in France, in Germany, cool. in Mexico. Really? South America, yeah. Interesting. Do do people come up to you and just call you Lou? Oh, yeah, for sure. People recognize me quite a lot. But I don't mind being recognized at all because Canadians are so polite about it. Okay. You know, it's not, it's never anyone being rude or obtrusive. They often, it's often with when I'm with my kids. Sure. Yeah. You know, last night I was at Cyprus skiing with my, my son and my daughter and we were leaving the lodge and these teenagers were kind of giggling and they were like, hey, are you Lou from Heartland? <laughs> so it's always people being really polite. That's amazing. That's mm-hmm. so cool. Um, I almost have to wonder, like, how much of that character is embedded in your identity now (laughs) like you've been playing this woman for 12 years yeah you're obviously most emotionally invested in her journey well I really created Lou as she is um I didn't follow the Lou from the books okay so uh I think we all created our own versions though because there was a collection of books Mm -hmm. Heartland but it was based in this very kind of proper British um kind of riding community in I think in like Georgia or something okay. and then once they set the show because originally they were going to shoot it in Quebec mm-hmm. the original executive producer who bought the rights to the show was from Quebec and they have a big equestrian community there they had oh. a, a, a Quebecois writer they were going to set it in Quebec and make it this very British equestrian type of show yeah but once they decided, for whatever reason, however the funding and everything came together to do it in Alberta, mm-hmm. it immediately became this Western show <laughs> because it's, you know, that's where cowboys are and yeah, rodeos. And so it totally became a Western show. There is a lot of show jumping, but it's a Western show. Mm-hmm. And I kind of, when I read the description for Lou when I auditioned for her, they wanted a petite blonde. <laughs> and I'm five foot eight and very dark hair coloring. I'm Latin American, even though I don't play Latin sure. American. But um, so I really made Lou my own. Okay, so so even more emotionally vested in yeah. this character, right? Oh, for sure. I'm very <laughs> attached. I, I think once the show eventually does end, it'll be 
there'll be a grieving period. <laughs> I would imagine so, right? Yeah. Um, now, before we go any further, I'm very conscious about not complimenting my guests on their looks, oh. especially <laughs> women. Uh, just because, you know, I'm have, I have people on the show because I think they have something interesting to say as opposed to being aesthetically nice to look at. Sure. But I have to say... You have really great skin. Oh, thank like you. Glowing. Oh, you're so kind <laughs> to say that. I'm very well rested. Me and my family got a little sick over the holidays, so I was in bed for four days. Is so that the secret? That's the cure. Yeah, you have to get sick so you stay in bed for days. Well, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> you sneeze and cough out <laughs> all the germs and the toxins. And you just it's stay a in bed. You stay. Yeah, it's a cleansing. You just stay in bed and don't eat anything for four days. Right. Yeah. Just a, a hydration cleanse. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, thank you for saying that. No, no, my pleasure. I, I mean, I have to be honest. I have a very uh, haphazard slap together uh, facial regimen. Mm -hmm. uh, I got some exfoliants, some scrubs, some serums, a toner. Hey, you're doing a lot more than most guys, I think. I uh, I got the witch hazel for the toner. That's Good for my, you. That's my thing. Nice. So I feel like this is a great opportunity for me to glean some uh, advice <laughs> or wisdom because oh, I don't really know what I'm doing. No, it, it sounds like you do know what you're doing. I think that the, this is the best advice. I, I, I like read it somewhere, but it's kind of what I was already doing, but it's the best advice. Uh, especially if you're getting ready for an event, mm -hmm. exfoliate and use a mask. You know, like you, you just go to Shoppers Drug Mart. They have a million masks. Get a nice hydrating mask or a clay mask. Okay. And uh, and and do a hair mask as well. Really? Yeah, I think doing a nice hydrating, rich hair mask. That's really my beauty regime. And then you know, a little bit of um, like a high quality night cream. And I like a nice serum as well, like an oil. Okay. Essential oil yeah. serum. Yeah. So I've never. I'm going to tell you two things. I've never used a mask. And yeah. I wouldn't even know where to begin. You Part, don't need mostly one. Mostly because half of my face is bearded. Yeah. You don't really. You've got, you've got great skin. You don't <laughs> Thank need you. it. For women especially who wear a lot of makeup and take it off, that's hard on your skin. Yeah. So I think hydrating masks put that, you that know, that sense. stuff, that oil and stuff back on because we take kind of strip it off. Sure. Yeah. 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 Um, the other thing I wanted to tell you was I've used a hair mask, but not on my not on the hair on my head. I've used it on my beard. Oh yeah. I don't know. Oh, if cool. I was just like, I figure this probably works. And probably. I just I want just... to keep it soft. I don't want to keep it too like. I think hard. that's a great idea. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't know though. I'm. Yeah. I, I I know nothing about beards. My husband doesn't wear a beard. I don't know. Well, I'll take all the other advice. Uh, I know that there's been a lot more products for men on the market. You see them everywhere now. Like it seems to be a growing market, these beauty products for men. I think so. Yeah. It's, I mean. It's a bit of a black hole, beauty products. Like there's so many you can buy and they always introduce new products and they're really trying to get all our money. I think that's why I need guidance because I feel like I get, I've asked uh, women in my life, what should I be doing? And I get like different responses from each one. I think from because you don't, I assume you don't wear makeup. No, I don't. It's I haven't gone there. I mean, I might, just not right now. Just wash your face with Cetaphil, unless it's- Oh, Cetaphil, yeah, yeah. Unless it's oily, mm -hmm. then you might want something stronger and, mm -hmm. uh, and and use some nice, easy moisturizer like Kiehl's. Kiehl's makes a great general face moisturizer. Just keep it simple. Okay. Yeah, and for women too, I think if you have good skin, don't mess with it. Don't try and buy a million products to fix your skin. Gotcha. I get in trouble for that. I was I was being interviewed by a beauty magazine once and they're like, what's your beauty? I always say this word on regimen. I, I always yeah, say regimen. wrong regimen. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, I really keep it simple and I, I don't like to use many products. And they were like, well, can we not say that? Because this <laughs> magazine basically sells beauty products. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? Why? But I, I do think that there is this whole... Um, you think we overdo it? We overdo it. And also, you know, it's just feeding off of our insecurities, right? Like if we yeah. buy this one thing, that'll make us more beautiful. Right. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, that that's like with anything, mm -hmm. right? Even supplements where, oh, yeah. you know, maybe you can have a, a fish oil and a vitamin D supplement, but you get people uh, like my dad, Mo Senior, who has a ton of supplements because I think he's looking for the fountain of youth I'm a bit of a supplement whore too. Are you? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love my supplements. I take so many. Yeah. What would you recommend for the, oh. what's a must? Well. Aside from fish oil, because I feel like that's the number it's one. It's expensive. Like, I feel like it it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a real pleasure, like a luxury for me. I do probiotics, lots of fish oil, like yeah. omega-3s. Um, and then I take magnesium mm -hmm. 
And I sometimes uh, take a really good mega food, whole food uh, multivitamin. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But the probiotics and the fish oils are always. Yeah. And I apologize to our listeners if I'm coughing a little bit. I'm still getting over a cold. Oh, and vitamin <laughs> you're still, D. You're at the end of your cleanse. I'm at the end of my cleanse. Yeah. But vitamin D is a, is a very important one, especially for us Vancouverites yeah, so who so don't dark. get enough sun. It's really important one. And if you're feeling sick, you can take a lot of vitamin D. Right. Yeah. Um, you're a big believer of probiotics. Kombucha? Yeah. I love that? kombucha. I, yeah. I have to learn to make my own because it's so expensive. It's... Uh, <laughs> And it's not hard to make your own. It's just you have to be hard. very careful um, just to ensure that the bacteria grows in the right way. Otherwise, like, you might not be growing kombucha. You might be growing botulism. Oh, God. Right? I, I don't that's know enough about I, it. But... That's the only reason I don't do Well, you have to keep it in the dark. Mm-hmm. There's a certain type of cloth you have to use. And mm-hmm. There's a whole thing. And, and that's the only reason I don't trust myself to... To grow, uh, to I haven't ventured there yet. I do love it. When I'm, whenever I bring my daughter grocery shopping with me, that's our treat. We'll buy yeah. ourselves a nice kombucha. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, let's talk about your film. Yes, please. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations. Uh, I was lucky enough to be able to see it. Again, the film is Mi Madre, My Father. Mm-hmm. It's beautifully shot, beautifully acted. It debuts at the Vancouver Short Film Festival January 26th and 27th. Uh, but I don't want to butcher the synopsis. So can you... Explain to me and the listeners what your film is all about. Sure. Um, I think it's only playing on January 26th. 26th, sorry. The festival runs those two days. Right. So. Yes, yeah. it does. Um, so I got the. I was looking for an idea for my first short film, something I wanted to write. Hmm. I, and I'm also um, hoping to direct on Heartland. Oh, cool. So hopefully that's going to happen. But I wanted something that was sort of a family-themed thing or with children. So I was looking for a story. Mm-hmm. And then I was in L.A. and I met a friend, a new friend, and we went for a drink to get to know each other because we were both staying in the same place. We didn't really know each other very well. Mm -hmm. And she started telling me her life story, her childhood story. And I was just so blown away by it. Uh, She essentially, she grew up in Australia, actually. But she, uh, her mother was addicted to prescription drugs and was kind of just like comatose, passed out most of her childhood. Hmm. She doesn't remember her mother ever doing anything to really help her or take care of her, hmm. you know, even just making meals and things like she remembers as a young child making herself meals and looking for food. And um, and her father was sort of this really handsome playboy who would go away for long periods of time for his work and kind of show up and didn't really take care of her. And they would fight viciously, the parents. Yeah. Um, anyway, and I was like, how did you survive this? Like yeah. without someone really taking care of you? And she said, oh, this couple across the hall, these two flight attendants, these two men yeah, across the hall put fresh fruit in her backpack every day. If her parents were fighting, she'd go hide in their apartment. And, wow. and, and actually the bigger story, which is like the feature film version is that kind of her entire apartment building took care of her. There was apparently a Playboy pinup model downstairs who would like bring her into her apartment and doll her up and do her hair. There was a woman with a purple beehive who would have her over for meatloaf every week. Mm-hmm. And so she was kind of raised by her neighbors. And I thought that was, excuse me, a beautiful story. So I truncated that into, you know, the 10, 15 minute film version. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to. <laughs> excuse me, to bring my own experience to it. And my family is Chilean immigrants. You can take <laughs> so, a sip of water. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so I, I turned the mother's character into a Chilean immigrant and um, and took it from there. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's so cool. It, it, I mean, it's an extremely vulnerable piece. Mm-hmm. And it's very, uh, very evocative in its short runtime, mm-hmm. uh, which I think is, you know, a testament to your storytelling abilities and, and your directing. It's hard to tell a short story. I feel like it would be, right? Yeah. And especially to make it um, as powerful as as it is, because you're really trying to draw a lot of emotion out in a very short time. Um, how do you feel, and obviously we, we, we sorted out this idea of what which film was first, but in terms of putting something out there, putting this piece out in the universe, I mean, what are you feeling? What's it like? Um, I'm a little nervous because actually it hasn't been widely seen yet. I've shown it to a lot of friends and associates, mm-hmm. um, colleagues, and I've gotten really great feedback. Mm-hmm. But I, I've never watched it in fr- with an audience in a theater. Yeah. Um, so I'm a little nervous, actually. And, I, you know, I didn't just direct it. I'm in it. I wrote it. Yeah. It's very much 
a product of of my psyche, and so uh, I'm 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 nervous about putting it out there actually. But it, I I really I'm proud of it. And Lena um, Rena, who plays the young girl, did such a beautiful performance. Mm-hmm. I think she carried the part so well that I um, I'm excited to share it as well. Do you feel like when you're in the audience? watching your own film are you going to be watching the audience more or are you going to be soaking in the film what's your I think I'll intention? be watching and critiquing the film yeah okay you that's know good. that's what I always like every time you for me when I'm watching my performances on Heartland I'm critiquing myself when I'm watching but you'll be watching those at home yeah or, you know. you're right this would be the first time so I I don't know I don't know. What, <laughs> I, I assume though because it'll be my first time also seeing it on a big screen right yeah that um I will be probably critiquing it and thinking, oh, I wish I'd stayed longer on that shot. I wish I'd cut away sooner on that shot or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So as someone who has done acting for uh, television and film for the past 20 years, mm-hmm. um, is it weird now to find yourself in the director's chair and then also having run double duty as yeah. uh, the director and the star? It was an interesting journey to get here. Um, television directing... And watching television directors for so many years, it's not a glamorous job. Yeah. It's really a producer's medium, television. Okay. Producers and showrunners are in control. Directors are invited guests on the set <laughs> who come and hopefully they have some beautiful inspiration that they can bring. But on a lot of shows, um, they could kind of run themselves. You mm. almost and directors sort of get the flack for when things aren't working or when it's too hard or when the day's going too long. So I, I didn't really uh, envy or, or, or want that job for a long time. Sure. But then slowly I started to see, well, you know, a lot of these directors actually are able to bring something beautiful to the show and find a shot or find a nuance that no one else had. And then they'll go and they'll make their films as well. You know, you do television as your bread and butter and then mm-hmm. you can go and make your films, which isn't as lucrative, but which is where you get the real payback creatively. Sure. So I thought this actually looks like something I'm interested in. And then I had my son. <laughs> so that was my second child. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed. I'm working. I'm a, a young mom. Yeah. And now my kids are older. And so a couple years ago, I kind of came back to it. And I, three years ago now, I guess I, I came back to it and I thought, okay, now I'm ready. Cool. Yeah. But you've seen, I mean, you've obviously worked with a lot of directors. And I so know... many. I've worked with the best directors in Canada. And, and I was even going to say, you I mean, you've worked with the legendary George A. Romero. Yes. Um, so in seeing all these directors and how they work, mm-hmm. you know, was was there a vision you had for yourself in terms of what type of director you wanted to be? You never know. I didn't really know what I was going to be like because one of the directors I look up to the most in life is my sister, Wendy Morgan. Okay. She's an incredible director. She did a... Janelle Monae's videos, like the oh, ones she's yeah, really yeah. known for. She's, hmm. She really came up doing Canadian... Um, videos and now American. She did videos for The Kills. She's just directed on a CBC show called Little Dog. Mm -hmm, And she's about to do her first feature. And she's just so amazing. But we're nothing alike. (laughs) And I was like, oh, God, because Wendy's really tough. She's really thick skinned. Right. Nothing really gets to her. She's it's just like water off a duck's back. And and that works for her as a director. But then finally, it, it took me a while to come to the place where I was like, well, Yes, I'm an actor. Yes, I'm really sensitive. Yes, I pick mm-hmm. up on everything in the room, but I have to make that work for me. Right. And I think it can work for me, and I did find it It does when I'm working with actors, when I'm trying to get the sense of a scene, what the scene needs, what does the actor need, how are we going to make this work? I think my sensitivity and my intuition is working for me. But you never know what it's going to be like till you get there, and I think directing is really mm-hmm. one of those jobs where you bring yourself to it, whether you want to or not. You you can't show up and, and pretend to be someone else and kind of fake your way through it because it's such a long job. Like yeah. a film day is like 14 hours. You're there for such a long period of time. The prep is to, you know, a couple of weeks if you're lucky. And it's such a, a job that asks everything of you that mm-hmm. I don't think I've never seen anyone who can show up and pretend to be something they're not. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. The way you are and the way you work is going to arise eventually because mm-hmm. it's it's a very challenging job. It's it's interesting that you say that because, I mean, this is one common thread that's run with a lot of guests on this show. 
about talking about being authentic and how mm. that's not only the correct way to uh, go about whatever your project or passion is, but it's also the liberating way yeah. to do that and, and the creative way to do that. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool to hear that you didn't feel. I think that like, like you had to fit as in a someone mold. in my 30s now, that's been the best thing about becoming an adult. There's a lot of things that suck about being an adult. Yeah. That, you know, there's a lot of things where you're like, oh. my back hurts all the time. <laughs> Your back hurts. You have all these responsibilities and financial obligations yeah. and all these pressures. But one of the things that's been really great about it, and when and one reason I wouldn't want to go back to my 20s is. I was so consumed with like figuring out who I was and I'm trying on different versions of myself mm-hmm. and seeing what worked and what did I get what would get <laughs> a good reaction whereas in my 30s I feel like I've been much more comfortable just being like this is who I am and who I am can also change and yeah. what I need and you know and approaching directing and taking it seriously is one of those things where I was like well you know what Maybe I wasn't ready to direct in my 20s mm-hmm. because really I've been on Heartland for so long. A lot of people have said, well, why didn't you direct in season three? <laughs> but I wasn't ready to. Sure. And I wasn't in a place where I was ready to, but I am now. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, you talk about bringing this sensitivity to that role. Um, I, I want to talk about the the young girl, Lena mm-hmm. Renna. Uh, who stars in, in in Me Madre and My Father, mm-hmm. and she's been acting since before she can probably remember, which yeah. is crazy. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, and you've worked with young actresses before as well, um, mm-hmm. namely Alicia Newton on Heartland. That's right. Um, what is it like working with these incredibly talented kids on these dramatic pieces? Um, I well, mean, it's, it's does it affect of, your approach? Like, it, it's it's awe inspiring actually because. Um, they are, especially Lena and Alicia, those are examples of young actresses who are so talented mm-hmm. and they don't have that fake actor quality that a lot of young actors have. Yeah, okay. You know, well, I, I don't know. You have, well, you, like, you can see a lot of kids who are really sweet and probably going to grow up to be great actors, but, you know, they're kind of just taught these little tricks and things and kind of Disney acting, right? Like right. kind of cutesy stuff. Okay. And but Lena and, and Alicia are the real deal. They they really are very talented, raw, authentic actors. And so mm-hmm. it's amazing to see that because, well, I, I didn't know I wanted to be an actor when I was their age, but I was like wearing Tweety Bird jogging pants and, you know, <laughs> playing handball with my friends. And the fact sure. that these girls show up on set and they're professional and they're acting, I... I'm kind of in awe. I'm, it, it, it's a little bit worrisome to me too, though. I'm not sure how I feel about children having jobs, but at the same, you know what I mean. Like, a part of me feels like childhood should just be like really free range. Sure. But they love it, and so who yeah, am I to judge? Like, they, it. they they are, and neither of them are in a position where they have like parents pressuring them to do it. They they both want to do it, and they want to be <laughs> they want to be there, and. I, I wouldn't want my kids to be child actors, mm-hmm. but they love it. Sure, I I have a I have a question for you, and it's it's something that I'm just trying to wrap my head around because obviously you've been in this industry for a while. Mm-hmm. You've sort of talked about how you know some actors. Uh, I think we what you call it Disney acting, or, right? Yeah, yeah. And, um, and then some actors come in with you know this more raw, uh, authentic uh, feel. I'm just trying to wrap my head around this idea because you're playing someone else, mm-hmm. right? So in intrinsically, it's not authentic because you're not being yourself, but you're putting, mm. you know, you're playing a role. So what do you mean by like, well, a raw it, it can be authentic. Um, it should be. Mm-hmm. This what does is, that mean, though? I so guess? Um, th- I think, I mean, there are so many books written about acting and and the craft of acting and this is why you know people make millions and millions of dollars teaching acting it's (laughs) it's hard to do and it's hard to encapsulate but Mm -hmm. if i can try to do it i would say that it's um create (laughs) excuse me creating and investing in character and being so invested in it such that when you're in a scene you are not um just doing some prescribed emotions that you've decided you're going to do and some actions that you've decided are appropriate. You're actually listening and responding to your acting partner. 
you're actually in the moment enough that the the reactions you have are authentic, whether it's joyful or tearful or curious or Mm. crying, that you're actually as 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 you say as an actor in the moment. Right. And the tricky excuse me, the tricky thing is there's like flat acting where it's kind of uninspired and boring. Mm-hmm. Um and this is usually because the actor isn't invested or interested in their own character and thus how could you if you're not interested in the character, how could you have an interesting performance? Right. There's, you know, and then there's like theater acting which tends to be bigger. And on film, that translates as something that's, like, too big. And I think right. a lot of actors are scared of that. They're scared of going too big, so their their acting can be a bit too flat because of that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. So it's finding that amazing and exciting and energized place in the middle where you're completely invested. You love this character. <laughs> this character is exciting to you. You And then becoming this character. Meryl Streep calls it presenting a new soul. Mm. And then... The authenticity comes from being in the moment and invested enough in the moment that you're actually having an experience with another character. Yeah. I think that was beautifully encapsulated. Oh, good. That was, no, that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Now I can start my acting school. <laughs> I mean, you're off to a hot start this year already, so why not? But I keep training. You know, that's one of the things. Like, I still train. I go to a, a place, a local place called Anthony Mendel's Actors Workshop. Um, I haven't in the past few months, but whenever I have time, it's it's one of those things that you. Ha- it's like a muscle you have to keep exercising. Absolutely, yeah. I, I yeah, I love how you encapsulated that, and that made a lot of sense in terms of, as opposed to try to act behaviors, you are, you know integrating yourself into this person's that's the worst acting or... when you see someone who's like oh now i'm gonna be curious yeah <laughs> and now i'm gonna be happy and like and because we all have as actors we all have that bag of tricks sure and sometimes you need them especially in television you can't be completely inspired 12 hours a day you know for an eight month season yeah there's gonna be times <laughs> where you reach into your bag of tricks but if you do that too much it's that's it's boring and people watching it know. Yeah. It's like, you know, when you're watching it and you can just see them acting. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Yeah. Where, yeah, you're absolutely right. Where you're watching something and you still think, oh, this is television, as opposed yeah. to watching something and being so engrossed that you've suspended disbelief. <laughs> yeah. And you've it's, you're just watching these people. That these people. are not real people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, you know, speaking of talent, Stephen Amell, mm-hmm. fellow Canadian small screen superhero on the CW's Arrow, uh, apparently a professional wrestler now, too. Oh, I hadn't heard. <laughs> wow. Really? I believe so. Yeah. He's been doing a few little gigs here and there. Um, but he's in the film. And uh, I was reading that he helped inspire you to crowdfund. That's right. For for this film. Yeah. Um did you talk to him about but before you went to Indie Indiegogo and, and set that up? Did you talk to him about the film? So I um I tried to get a grant. There was a grant called Bravo Fact through Bravo. Okay. Which is now gone, which was actually a very important funding mechanism for new Canadian filmmakers. Hmm. So it's really sad that it's gone. But I applied for like the last round they did and I didn't get it. They give out like ten grants and I didn't get it. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh great, now what am I gonna do? Um and I and then I got cast in a project called Deep Six, okay. which is a really cool web series um, that I think is out now. Gosh, I'll have to see. They were trying to sell it as a television series, but it's really well done. And they they crowdfunded that. So I met Davin Langiel, who crowdfunded that. And then I found out that Davin had been the crowdfunding manager for Stephen Amell's film Code 8. Oh, cool. Okay. So that was like a connection, and I knew Stephen, and I, and then I met Davin. And so when I decided I wanted to crowdfund it, I because Davin Langiel, actually, that's one of his jobs, is he's a professional consultant oh, for crowdfunding for film. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of them that have cornered that's the market. That's such a niche. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a guy in the States. I love yeah, that. Like, yeah, there's a guy in the States who did like the Veronica Mars film, and he does a bunch of stuff there. Cool. And him and Davin actually work together. But Davin is really specializes in this. And um, so for basically for free, he just kind of gave me the rundown. He's like, this is what you're going to want to do. This is how you raise money. Yeah. These are the perks you offer. And he kind of explained it to me. It was a big job. Like I, I would bet. say that yeah. was my kind of full-time job for about 
three months Mm. just raising money and always sending out updates and perks and then, you know, actually physically sending out all the perks and... Yeah. Um, you know, it was whether it was what autographs. Were some of the perks? You know, you could get like a Stephen ML headshot or a Michelle Morgan headshot or oh. a, a Me Madre My Father t shirt or the DVD. Or um, some people want, uh, got a, a meet and greet. We're going to do a meet and greet before the screening on the 26th. And 10 or you have five different Indiegogo producers are going to come for this special meet and greet with the cast. Cool. So, you know, just That's things like exciting. that, right? Yeah. But it was a big job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, and your relationship with Stephen Amell also extended to Heartland. He's been on the he, show, That's right? how I met him. That's yeah. how you met him, okay. He played a character named Nick Harwell, who I think came in in season one. Yeah. And he was there for two or three years. <clears throat> and um, we became friends because we were both from Toronto. Yeah. We were young, you know, 20-somethings live, like working in Calgary where we didn't really know anyone. Sure. So he and I would hang out and, and go for dinner and just be friends. And then I would run into him in Toronto sometimes as well. I used to live out there. Okay. Um, and so we were just friends, but I hadn't... And then we stayed in touch like on Facebook <laughs> because we both have our public social media uh, that we do. And then we both have a, a private Facebook page, which I use less and less these days, but it's yeah. for like my actual friends and family. And he was on there. So I was watching him like raising his little daughter and he was watching me posting pictures of my friends. And that's how I messaged him. I was like, hey, I'm doing this film. You know, obviously there's no money in it, but it's in Vancouver. We can work around your schedule. Mm-hmm. It's a great part for you. And he was happy to come on board. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, just as a sidebar here, uh, this celebrity private Facebook thing. Mm-hmm. D- do you go by a pseudonym? How does that work? You don't have to tell me the details, oh, no, obviously, no. but I'm just curious. Yeah, like, I heard that, and I don't know. Like, I, it's just not my um, my actual last name. It's like I go by a, a different name. So, and then do you have like a like a profile picture that isn't you? It's... No, it is me, oh, but it I is. guess okay. it's just not like a glamorous headshot of me. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. So, but I do still, you know, p- fans find me. Okay. But then you know they send me a friend request, and I just don't. Yeah, and friend them. That's the <laughs> yeah, that's your life. That's yeah. yeah. So, enough. but if I, you know, if they want to get in on my life, they can follow me on Instagram. Yeah, and I do have a public Facebook page as well, but I, I use that a little bit less as well. I'm kind of just a little bit over Facebook right now. I think you and everyone else. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, I find I think Instagram's still the like the number one. Yeah. Uh, Snap's really popular with the kids. I still don't know how to use it. I oh, really? I don't understand. Uh, and then Twitter is still like pretty popular, but I find Facebook, it's just the engagement for anyone I talk to. It's not yeah. their primary social I media. I use Twitter mainly for sharing things, like whether it's uh, a premiere or if there's something I feel passionate about. You're not, you're not arguing with your critics on Twitter? Oh, God, Like, no. like it was made for... <laughs> I'm just not... That's what it was built for. I guess. <laughs> I'm not interested in... Because the arguments I get in, like, I, I'll often post I'm, things... I'm I joking, feel pa- by the way. No, no, no. I don't no, think you but should be. <laughs> I, I'll post things about, like, imagine my co-writing partner. His name is Daniel Patinkin. He <laughs> lives in L.A. And he wrote this fabulous book called The Trigger. Um, and he interviewed people affected by gun violence in America, whether it was people who were the shooter or, you know, like a police officer is one of them or Hmm. people who've been shot. And, and so he wrote this book and I posted about it and, and, you know, I get all like a bunch of like positive feedback, but also a lot of negative feedback from people who are like, (laughs) you know, NRA, you know, Trump supporters, a lot of Heartland fans from the States are. And all you're doing is sharing your. Yeah. Uh, working partners and book. I also I went to the women's march in Washington and right. I posted about that and I post my support of <laughs> of women's marches and and you know the me too movement and I'll get a lot of negative feedback from women as well that, uh, and I wasn't laughing because you went to the women's yeah. march I'm laughing at the idea that like how dare you oh yes of course march for women's rights <laughs> for sure but it's and it's funny it's not even just like it's not even just like um, Americans from the Bible belt who are often wonderful people but often quite close-minded when it comes to those things like it's old friends of mine from mississauga ontario yeah who are like i don't understand why you're marching for um what's the deal with the women's march women have you know just as many rights as men and and women have everything they want and what why are you marching wow uh it doesn't make any sense you know uh, i think if women want these are friends of yours these are people i knew like in elementary school and they're like if women want something they have to work just as hard as it 
as men do. And I, I don't think, I think they're just missing the point. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, I don't yeah. think anyone would say that women don't have to work hard or are given things, but that's the kind of feedback I've gotten from some friends of mine. I also don't old think friends. most, even the people that would post stuff like that, I don't think most people would vociferously argue like that in person. I think some people would. You think so? Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think some would, but I don't. I don't know if all of them would. Like I, I do find. Um, I think we get a different angle on it living in an urban center. Yeah, maybe. When yeah, you yeah. live in Vancouver, Toronto, even like Central Calgary, sure, you get a different outlook on life and on society than people who live in a suburb or in the country. Yeah, very possible. I, I was just thinking this idea that with our online avatars and, and who we are online, there is a depersonalization aspect to it even oh, one yeah even one with people you know because i'm not having a conversation when i where i can read your expressions or your reactions or anything so i can go go on a rant oh like when people say mean terrible yeah. things yeah for sure yeah. people like to hide behind or even their just avatar. even just uh being upset about you going to the women's march you know what i don't i, mean? I don't like, know i feel like the the women i'm thinking of who posted those things would say that to me as well okay. yeah <laughs> I think so, because that's, they feel really self-righteous about school. it. And, you know, yeah, yeah, I think they would. But yeah, on, on the topic of the 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 Women's March, mm-hmm. um, your your film touches heavily on this theme of domestic dysfunction, mm-hmm. domestic abuse. Um, and it's an area where you've worked a lot in. Uh, yeah. You've worked with women's shelters. You've worked as an ambassador uh, for mm-hmm. Homefront. So. Is there, even though your your film is obviously short in length, it's a short film, um, but is there a conversation maybe you're hoping to generate um, from your audience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was one of the things that drew me to the story was the fact that she hid it from the world. Mm-hmm. The fact that she was experiencing abuse at home and was neglected. She would make her sandwiches to try to look like her friend's sandwiches and cut the crusts off, even though she said she liked the crusts. Yeah. She noticed her friends had them cut off. So, she, you know, even as a seven-year-old girl, she was cutting off her crusts and trying to make her lunches look like a parent had made them for her. Right. So the idea that um, domestic abuse is a dirty secret mm-hmm. and, it, and people need to hide it at all costs so that they feel that they do. And that's something I, I've experienced, too, in, in trying to help women's shelters and um, organizations like Homefront, which offers assistance to victims of domestic violence, trying to help them raise money. Mm-hmm. It's not a glamorous uh, charity. You know, it's not like the Make-A-Wish Foundation or Children Hospital or something where people are like, oh, yes, of course, sick children. I want to give them money. But when you're talking about domestic violence, mm-hmm. people don't really want to talk about it. Yeah. You know what I mean? People would rather ignore it. Um, and the fact that it exists in, you know, not just like certain areas or certain classes of society, it it can permeate all classes of society and all different kinds of people from different cultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. But people don't want to talk about <laughs> it. Me. T- it takes all forms, yeah. right? Uh, I, I shouldn't say all forms, but it takes many forms in the sense that, um, and I hope this isn't a spoiler, but, you know, no one's getting... Uh, hurt physically on screen, but there is neglect mm-hmm. and neglect to the point of abuse. Yes, um, and that would be considered. I mean, I, I would course. consider that domestic violence, yeah. and so it does come in many forms. Where uh, and and there's emotional abuse as well. Of course, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know, I had a pretty good upbringing. I, I can't really speak to any of that, but certainly for me, when originally, if I would have thought of domestic violence, I'd only think of it in this very narrow. Mm-hmm. field without realizing that no no there's many, many yeah types. and it, and it can evolve and change and that's the thing yeah. it's not like people think to themselves i live in a home where i experience domestic violence and that's my home because sure. th- their home is probably great maybe 75 percent of the time 80 percent 90 percent but that 10 percent is enough to you know uh really mark a child's life and and and, and you know affect their psyche and mm-hmm. how they think about themselves and but then they think, no, 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 everything's fine, whether it's the partner, the victim, or the children. Everyone wants to be from a good home. Right. And it usually takes um, a really serious event to make people change their entire life and, um, you know, 
to get out of that situation, it usually takes something quite serious. Mm-hmm. Because I worked um, with a, a shelter in Vancouver, which was an emergency, like kind of first response shelter. So you'd see people coming in in the middle of the night with their kids, like completely black and blue. Oh my god! And um, and they knew they should have left, but it, it's really it's a very challenging, scary thing to to you know throw your whole life up in the air and, and turn it around. So absolutely. So what is the conversation you're hoping to create from from this film? I think I want to talk about community and just being aware of Mm -hmm. what's around us because I think that's the best that we can do really is to look out for our community. So whether it's noticing something strange about a neighbor or your child's friend or um, just (laughs) the fact that we have to keep an eye on each other mm-hmm. and not to be intrusive in each other's lives but that that that's the story it's the neighbor who notices and who cares for right. this child and i think if the story were to go on he would of course in canada in today's society he would call it children's services mm-hmm. um when this story happened it was in australia in the 70s and i guess calling child services wasn't really an option because it was notoriously terrible yeah um, but in Canada, that's what one would do. You'd call children's services. Sure. So I think the message is that even though things might appear to be okay, we really have to look out for each other yeah. and for our neighbors and our community. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece of dialogue that hopefully will, will uh, spring from this film. I, I hope so. And I mean, I do I, – I, I really hate – the evolution of the nuclear family where we go into our house and we close the door and we we want privacy and we don't want people knowing what's going on in our homes and mm-hmm. and <laughs> we don't need any help we're self-sustaining i i just don't believe that's true and i, I know it's very canadian we like our privacy and we like <laughs> and we're quite reserved and sure. we, but i'm latin american and i come from a place where you leave your doors open and your community is part of your life yeah and i wish that we would have a little bit more of that in Canada. Well, even that cultural mindset of being atomized individuals or atomized families is fairly new because yeah. throughout human history, uh, commu- and we see this in, especially in you know indigenous cultures, community is very important and it has its own rhythm and yes. and uh, binds that that hold it together and. You know, this consistent demand, and not that privacy is a bad thing, but this consistent demand for privacy uh, is a very new phenomenon, mm-hmm. right? When we look at how we've evolved just as a species. <laughs> and privacy is a beautiful thing. I love to go into my bedroom and shut the door. Absolutely, yeah. But at the same time, I think you're right. It's a new thing. And I am 100% sure that it really is one of the causes of so much anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Like... Everyone I know now is dealing with some form of anxiety or uh, mental health issues, Mm -hmm. um, whether they are genetic or social. But I I think a lot of people are incredibly lonely. Yeah. And um, not just families, but of course, like people who live alone as well and who don't have a partner or children. And even if you do have a partner, a lot of people who are partners are are still quite lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it really does stem from that. And I, I just... I, I really, I love the idea. And I, I don't live in that community, unfortunately. I live on the North Shore and I love it. Sure. But I live in a place where people go home and close their doors. Yeah. And and that's it. Um, and that's just the, the circumstance of how I'm living right now. But I, I'm always telling my husband, I'm like, oh, I want neighbors who just <laughs> pop by and I want community and community events. Yeah, I'm sad I don't have it right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I don't want to go too deep into this, but I feel like, you know, this invention of our phones and, and the yes. internet has only uh, created a greater prison for us because, you know, we are isolated in our homes, but then it's we have this, like, myopic view of what's going on outside through our phones. Yeah. <laughs> but I guess it's a double-edged sword, right? Because yeah. it helps so many people find their community. 100%. And again, yeah. there's trade-offs, and I'm not... I, yeah. I of all people, cannot slag... Um, Online communities. Online communities or yeah. anything like that. Or privacy, as we were just talking about earlier. But it's when it respect- replaces human interaction that it becomes yeah. a problem. Like, for example, I'm, I'm part of an online community of um, 
kind of this like new age Wiccan, I guess you call it. Oh yeah, it. Like, okay. I, I guess, yeah, like I, you know, I meditate and I have crystals and I follow the cycles of the moon and it's a really gotcha. beautiful thing yeah. and it's this kind of woman's thing, but I, I, I'm part of this online community so I found out about a workshop to teach me how to read tarot cards. Cool, okay. So I'm, I'm going with a couple of friends to this workshop and I've also started a full moon women's meditation Interesting. Yeah. And so yeah. it kind of starts from this little online community and it can hopefully brought it into actual physical contact, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I, again, it's all about creating that balance yes. between the two. And I feel I'm, I'm worried about my kids, to be honest. But can you imagine being raised with a smartphone? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the smartphone and I guess the internet in, in, in connection to that. It's just this gateway to like, everything, numbing your mind to extreme graphic oh violence and images and whatever else, and all these negative things. And it's like we just hand these out. Oh my god! <laughs> right? Like I, I can't imagine what will... I would have been searching when I was fourteen or fifteen. Like, the, and the thing is, even uh, the most uh, you know pious child, yeah, uh, could accidentally st- stumble accidentally onto or just be cu- or just be curious. Sure. You know, like my friend saw a search engine search on an iPad for from her, like her like six year old. She lives in England. It was girls bums, <laughs> and it was like spelled wrong. But like you know, he was like, "Oh, girls bums are interesting," and he searched, and I'm sure he saw all kinds of pictures. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah, that's a dangerous <sighs> search. I think right. Yeah, yeah. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little nervous. But you know what my mom's advice is? She says. Just like when I was a kid, we had a computer, but it was in a public... Like a common area. A common area. Yeah, that's what we and, did. Yeah. And so I'm going to try to do that, but it's hard because my well, daughter... With the phone. With the phone. Well, they don't have phones. Yeah. They're young. <laughs> yeah, they're young. But my daughter does like this math homework on the computer on this website and... She's like, well, mommy, it's just easier if I bring it in my room. And I'm like, okay. But then I'm like, wait a minute. No, she can't have the computer in her room. Right. Yeah. Parenting troubles. Yes. Hard, yeah. A lot, lot of questions uh, that I guess parents now are answering that did just these questions didn't exist before in terms of what you do. And, Absolutely. For parents, it's a whole new world. Yeah. I, I have to ask, with, with so much going on um, in your life, and again, like we said, it's a big month for you, mm-hmm. how do you balance all these projects, uh, these other passions, like the uh, the Wiccan community that you're involved in? Um <laughs> And, and motherhood and sanity. All, you know how I do secret? it? Um, I have a nanny. Okay. And she, uh, because unfortunately I don't have a family support. Actually, I do. My mother-in-law, but she's a snowbird, so she's gone like six okay. months a year. But <laughs> half the year. Half the have. year. Yeah. But, um, and I think it's important to be honest about that mm-hmm. because I don't like propagating the myth of the superwoman yeah. who does everything and keeps the house clean and puts a meal on the table every night and has an amazing career and goes to the gym. It doesn't exist. It's BS. And women who claim that they do all of that are either going insane or they're lying. Like, it's just, it's not a reality. And sure. um, I think, you know, research shows that when you have a, a husband and a wife who both work, it's still the woman who comes home and does most of the domestic work. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband totally carries a lot of slack at home. He actually parents more than me because I have to go to Calgary to work about six months of the year. Right. So he, <laughs> excuse me, picks up a lot of slack. But there's still a lot of work to do at home. Absolutely. There's lunches yeah. to be made. And um, I wouldn't be able to do it without a fabulous nanny who helps me. Yeah. And she's like part of the family. The, the kids love her. We love her. Um, we take good care of her. She takes good care of us. And uh, without her, I would have to pack up my, my work day at 2.30 and go pick up the kids and make lunch and just or make dinner and just be doing that. Mm-hmm. And I need to work usually until at least 5 o'clock. I'm, right now I'm finishing the first draft of my feature film script. Oh, wow, yeah. cool. On top of um, other things and auditioning as an actor and you know working as an actor, um, I'm trying to do that. So I wouldn't be able to do it without my nanny. And it, the thing is in Latin America as well, where I'm, my family's from, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's very normal that people put aside about 10% of their income towards domestic help. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in, in Canada, I think it's almost like looked down upon. Like you're not a, a good parent because you're, you have a nanny picking up your kids from school and making right. them dinner. Yeah, and I guess this goes back to this idea of uh, 
answering questions that, that maybe didn't exist before. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we live in this culture, and again, I'm not putting judgments anywhere, but we live in this culture where certainly there are demands on women in terms of you do have to be this superwoman. I, yeah. I kind of like that you were up front and, and oh, call it out for what it is because just, it is an unrealistic completely. expectation. And of course, not all women can afford a nanny and, and, and I think there's other options yeah. too. There's, you know, a lot of w- people do um, after school care at their schools sure. or preschools or daycare or, you know, there's lots of, there's different options available to people. And in Vancouver, it's very expensive. Yes. But I think if you want to be a working parent, you have to explore those options and it doesn't yeah. make you a worse parent. I'm no. very active in my children's lives. I'm very present. I walk them to school every morning. So, mm-hmm. you know, I find my way of working it. But I just think it's, I think parents have to give themselves a break in this day and age. <laughs> like our parents' generation didn't stress out as much about being so present and getting down on the floor and playing with their kids and reading them books constantly and engaging them constantly. I think um, we're ex- the expectations now are way higher about how much time we physically spend playing with our kids. Sure. <laughs> Which is great, but I think it's putting too much pressure on parents. Yeah. I really do. And, and it's interesting because I think there's two things happening. There's there's that side where there's being a lot of pressure put on parents. And the other side is, as we've just sort of discussed, we're losing a, a certain sense of community. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure having Latin American roots, you're probably familiar of this idea as well that a, a child was raised in a very communal setting. Yeah. Right? And you know, a lot of us don't have that liberty either because our parents are not alive or not here in this in the place where we live. Um, but human culture and, and societies have grown up in this idea of it's not just one person, i.e. the mother, raising a child. It's like this whole it's the community. community and usually through family or a large family. Or neighbors. Or neighbors as well. You yeah. get that in certain neighborhoods. Um, there's a neighborhood in Calgary where I often stay and rent a place uh, it's called Kensington, mm-hmm. and there's a certain street there, and there's a couple streets there where the kids really just run wild on the streets, and it's great. Yeah, they they go to each other's houses. Everyone knows each other, and and my kids when they're there, they just love it because mm-hmm. uh, it, it's fun for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> and now now it, now the question becomes, you know, how do we? I don't think we can ever go back to that, but like, <laughs> how do we cultivate, like you just said, uh, these try to recreate that in a new way? Well, I mean, and here's the other thing. Um, It's been research shows, and I I think just common sense shows that some time just being bored by themselves Mm -hmm. is actually really good for kids, and it's important for them in order to discover who they are and what they like. Yeah. So when parents are so busy trying to parent all the time (laughs) and also overscheduling kids, which is another huge thing, kids are so overscheduled, they don't have time to just get bored mm-hmm. and think, well, maybe I want to do a drawing. Maybe I want to write a story. Maybe I want right. to just look out the window and think. Yeah. You know, kids often don't, that time is being taken away from them. Yeah. That unstructured, unstructured time exactly. to create. Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, we do have to wrap up in, in a, just a few minutes here, but I have to ask you a few more questions. Uh, what, what's your, you obviously keep very fit. I'm sure that's a, uh, demand of being on television and film. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your what is your local fitness regime here? I really like Legree, which is this. You're the like, yeah. third person to bring that up, and I go yeah. as well. I, oh, you do? Yeah, it's I, so good. Uh, I I reached Legree legend status, but they didn't have the unisex good for you. shirt in my size. That's they only had so smalls great. left. <laughs> I really like Legree because it's short. It's 45 minute classes. And it's really intense, and you're just engaged the whole time. Um, and I get a little bit bored at the gym. I recently bought myself a uh, an elliptical machine for at home. Yeah. Because it is, like, even with the nanny, I, I don't often have time to get out of the house mm-hmm. and, and get a workout. So it's something I can do at home. Yeah. And so I, I recently bought myself an elliptical. So we'll see how that goes. Okay, cool. Yeah. But no, I like Legree and I run. I go for jogs. Cool. Yeah. Do you have any favorite Legree teachers? Oh, um, oh I like Brooke at the North End. In okay. Lansdale. Yeah. Yeah. That's where you go. Yeah. Cool. That's also mine. I'm oh. a big fan of, uh, and I haven't seen her in a while because I had some injuries I was dealing with, and I'm kind of scared to see her, uh, Janine the Queen. Oh, yeah. She's great. So hard. <laughs> I never heard her <laughs> called makes, that. Makes a grown man cry. Yeah, I feel she's like. great. 
<laughs> and I love yoga, but that's mm-hmm. something I usually I practice more at home. I get out to a class when I have time, but yeah, it's like a, a constant home practice for me. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like yoga would gel well with your uh, Wiccan practices. And, <laughs> I don't like the word Wiccan. You but brought you used it. No, I know I, I used it, but people are reclaiming the word witch and what that means. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a huge community and that are calling themselves witches now again. Yeah, I'm down with it. That's I'm fine. down. I'm down with the idea of just don't like, hex me. Oh, but, you know, I've I don't know what a hex is. I don't know how that works. I'm sure that's a part of it, but I like the idea of getting back in sync with uh, nature. Yeah, and nature's cycles, moon cycles, um, and also just having like a, the idea of like a, a group of women coming together. Mm-hmm. I guess you call it a coven. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but um, I, I just think it's really beautiful. And there's something kind of badass about that word and what I think it originally meant. Right. And how it was, you know, squashed by the patriarchy. and Yeah, this idea of like a threatening woman. Yeah. Someone who's going to set who, the who social order. Women who have power order. and yeah. who, uh, you know, take, uh, you know, charge of their, their own bodies and themselves. Like, right. you know what the broomstick symbolizes, right? No. You don't? Explain it to me, please. Okay, so a woman flying on a broomstick was a woman putting um, probably some kind of hallucinogenic herb or some kind of herb on the end of a broomstick and masturbating and getting high off of that. Really? So the, it was, <laughs> the idea of a witch is a woman who enjoys her own body and it, who, like, enjoyed sex. Yeah. Yeah. I, I gotta change my Tinder profile. <laughs> witches only. <Yeah. laughs> Bad witches only. That's what I'm looking yeah. for. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, very briefly, uh, you do have an, another film, which I thought was your first film, but we reversed the order there. Um, I'm a sucker for like rom com self discovery. <gasps> yes, films. you can tell I'm pretty soft here. Um, and this one is totally my jam. Tofino oh, is, the, is the backdrop. Uh, the movie's called Save Yourself. And you also worked with StoryHive to mm-hmm. get this done. StoryHive's great. They're fabulous. Yeah. So how? what's that process like? So we've had uh, someone, we've had two girls, actually, that their web series is also a StoryHive project. Yes. And I'm always curious how it all they, comes um, It's through TELUS, the TELUS Optic Network. They've just put aside a whole chunk of money for Alberta and British Columbia filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And they're just constantly putting out new editions, whether it's for feature films and docs and shorts. And it's really accessible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it was a small grant. It was only 10 grand. Mm-hmm. So we did have to supplement that. But um, it's enough to just get out there and do it. And <laughs> we made it really quick. We shot it in Tofino in like a day and a half. And, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, you know, you can see that, that it was made quickly. Mm-hmm. But it's, I think it's a really fun proof of concept. And that's one that I, I don't think me, Madre, my father, I'm going to make into a feature. I think I just want to let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. But um but with Save Yourself, I, I really would like to make the feature-length rom-com version. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Well, if you make that feature, uh, I want to be at that premiere. Great. <laughs> um, and it's available. People can watch it on YouTube, on the StoryHive right. um, YouTube channel. They have a lot of good stuff on StoryHive when you kind of just they do. around. And, uh, I was introduced to StoryHive through uh, Girls vs. the City, which was cool. uh, the two creators of that came on the show. And, yes. Uh, I, that's how I found your... Um, Oh, that's Podcast, the actually, okay, yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Good to know. Okay. Um, well, I, I certainly hope uh, that throughout all this promotion and all the work that you have ahead, that you can enjoy the new season of Heartland and the premiere of your new film. I hope you're able to soak it in. Thank you. Yeah, people can watch Heartland Sunday nights at 7 on CBC and on. They've got a new streaming service called The Gem. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it's like an app? I guess it's an app and it's a website. You know, it's like okay. Netflix. Okay, so gotcha. there's a free version and then there's a premium version. Oh, okay. So if you have the free version, you have to watch some ads, but okay. not a lot. Yeah. Um, and then also, yeah, I hope people come out on January 26th to the Vancouver Short Film Fest. Awesome. Because there's tickets still available. And they should check you out. Yes. Um, what's next? What's in your vision board? So what's in your cauldron? What's, <laughs> what's the in image? Cauldron? In, what's the image of smoke coming out of your cauldron? You know, the new moon is time for manifesting. Yeah, it is. The old, the the full moon is when you let go, and the new moon is when you manifest. Right. So I'm finishing now the first draft of my first feature film, which is actually a western. Oh. That I want to shoot in Alberta. Okay. And it's a a, a really badass female lead who's this amazing kind of kick-ass Western hero, but it's mm-hmm. a modern-day Western. 
It's not a period piece. Okay. Um, so I'm really excited about that. So it's an action film. Cool. Okay. Um, I, but I feel like it's an expensive film. So I'm going to finish writing it, and I, I already have producers interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I'll see if I can raise the money. But I feel like it's like a $2 million film. Okay. And in Canada, usually your first feature is like less than a million. Right. So I think I'm going to then write the Save Yourself feature. The full film. And see if I can make that for yeah. you know less than a million. And then go make my big high-budget Western film. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying <laughs> to do Sounds very enticing. Both yeah. of those options. Yeah. And my sister is about to direct her first feature and I'm going to be in that. And so I'm excited to go out and support her and, and be cool. part of that. Would you ever uh, like do a, a Coen Brothers thing with your sister? Oh yeah. We, we actually have a project in mind. Oh yeah? It's sort of more of a longer term thing. We want to shoot it in um, Viña del Mar in, in Chile, which is a beautiful coastal town that's like all on hills and really steep hills. It's mm-hmm. beautiful. Cool. Yeah. So I, we we do have a story that we want to shoot together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Your vision board is packed right oh, now. Oh, good. Yeah. And my sister Grace Morgan. People can follow her on Instagram as well. Grace Morgan Pardo or Grace Pardo. Um, she's an amazing painter, and she we she would be our artistic director. Okay. And how do people follow you on? Instagram? Oh, Michelle Morgan underscore. Okay, and that's the same for Twitter, I believe. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Well, Michelle, I'm in awe. Oh, thank you. Congratulations for again. Me on. Um, and my pleasure. I, I look forward to seeing uh, what else you create in the universe. Thank you so much. It's been really fun. Thanks for being here. Ladies and gentlemen, her short film, Mi Madre, My Father, premieres at the Vancouver Short Film Festival January 26th to 27th. Please do check it out. In the meantime, she's Lou, Sunday nights on CBC's epic family drama, Heartland. She is Michelle Morgan. And I'm Mo Amir telling you that in a city where you can be anything, Be colorful. Peace.